Hi, and welcome as you join us for the start of a new series of 12 broadcasts here on Search for Truth today. Search for Truth is your 50-minute programme of hymns and Bible study with our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. Now, have you ever wondered afterwards about the details of a conversation which friends or other people have made? Have you ever wondered what was actually said? Such conjecture arises with the New Testament account of Jesus walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, where Jesus explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, which of course would be the Old Testament in those days. I wonder what he said to them on that seven-mile walk. Brian's used that question as a basis for this series, Christ in the Old Testament, and we begin with the title, Born of a Woman, for today's study. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. We've hopefully all enjoyed Bible teaching that has thrilled our hearts as well as enlarging our minds. That may give us a little insight into what it must have felt like for two depressed disciples trudging wearily away from Jerusalem on the third day after Jesus' crucifixion. A stranger who, unknown to them, was in fact Jesus, had become their walking companion. As they walked, they talked, or rather he did, for we read, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. And so they strongly urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it came about, when he had reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were our hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? That's, of course, taken from Luke chapter 24, from verse 27. Burning hearts. That's the inevitable result of having the Bible explained to us such that it all begins to make sense and the person and work of Christ, its central character, comes into sharper focus. I used to think it would be wonderful to know what Old Testament incidents, symbols and themes the Lord had unpacked for them. Then, from a seed sown by browsing a daily devotional reading, I've come to think it may actually be possible to reconstruct something, at least, of that wayside sermon given that day by our freshly resurrected Lord. And the way to do it seems obvious now. Wouldn't they be the same things that he and his apostles spoke about, things later recorded and expounded in the New Testament? I've read books that have explored the same theme, but drawn from the author's own spiritualising of stories in the Old Testament. I found them stimulating, but ultimately you're left with feeling a bit unsure if it's not all just a little bit subjective. I'm more satisfied by thinking that Christ's likely themes on that day can be reconstructed from what was later expressed by the Spirit of Christ in bringing to us the New Testament scriptures. 
let's begin reviewing these themes as near as possible in the order in which we encounter them in the Old Testament. When the Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians in chapter 4, describes God sending his son, he's described as having been born of a woman, Galatians 4 verse 4. This has a disarming and such a seemingly obvious simplicity about it until, that is, we remind ourselves that we're talking about the Son of God coming among us. This is the eternal Word becoming human flesh, God himself becoming incarnate in Christ. He came to share in our flesh and blood. The Lord didn't bring his humanity from heaven, but as to his human nature, he would be a descendant of Israel's King David. But Paul's words, born of a woman, seem to echo very closely the first ever promise that God gave to humans concerning his already prepared rescue plan. You see, our first parents, the original man and woman, rebelled against God. Judgment had to be pronounced, and it was. Mercifully, the sentence, when delivered, came with an immediate indication of future hope. The serpent who had deceived them would also be judged. He'd have his head bruised by the seed of the woman, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. In the last book of the Bible, the serpent of old, also known as the devil, is someone, we are told, is still to be cast down out of heaven, having already been rendered powerless from the time of the cross. Satan was God's adversary from the beginning, stopping at nothing to corrupt the pathway leading down through the generations to the arrival of the chosen seed who would be the Messiah or Saviour. Back in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4, it's recorded that the sons of God came and took the daughters of men in marriage. I'll leave it to you to decide if these sons of God were fallen angels. But suffice it to say that I think they were. And it was out of these strange unions that the Nephilim giants were born. These mighty men so corrupted humanity by their intermingling that they provoked the flood judgment. But at that time, Noah was found as one who would bring rest, being free from the corruption that such intermingling had brought. Then after the flood, as discovered by the twelve spies, evil Nephilim giants were again found in the promised land. You'll find that in Numbers chapter 13. This was long after Abraham, with only 318 men, had defeated giant-killing kings in Canaan in order to set his nephew Lot free. Read about it in Genesis chapter 14. Those defeated giants included the tall Amorites and the Rephaim giants, but they were still in the land during the time of Joshua. In fact, even before crossing the Jordan River, Moses, with the Israelites, had overcome the king of Bashan, who was listed as one of those remaining Rephaim giants, whose bed was over 13 feet long. And we note the territory of his kingdom included Mount Hermon, a mountain of Bashan. It was to this very place that our Lord would come, to confirm his identity to his disciples and declare that his victory would be such that the gates of Hades would be powerless against it. At the cross, we celebrate our Lord's victory 
as the seed of the woman finally vanquishing the seed of the serpent. The Lord contended in life with those of whom he could say, your father is the devil, John 8, 44. And in death, we wonder what demonic forces were identified as being wild bulls of Bashan, that place associated as it was with ancient evil. The Lord had come to do God's will, announced as early as Eden's garden. Of course, he brought a greater rest than Noah and a greater victory than Abraham, Moses and Joshua. Rewinding again, to pick up the saga from after the time of Moses, we find that Joshua and Caleb were next to do battle with the giants in the land of Canaan. By this time, when we meet them in the Bible, they're mainly known as the tall Amorites, or more specifically, as the sons of Anak. Joshua defeated them in all but three Philistine cities of Gaza, Ashdod and Gath. To recap, as we've mentioned, the story of giants starts with the mysterious Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6 verse 4, who were wiped out by the flood. However, the Nephilim are linked with the later Anakim and Rephaim giants. Ten of the twelve Israelite spies feared going into the land of Canaan because they saw the giant Anakim there. And Numbers 13 and 33 says they were classed as Nephilim. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 11 also says these same Anakim were part of the giant group known as the Rephaim. And while in the wilderness, Moses defeated the giant Og of Bashan, who was one of the remaining Rephaim giants. After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful spies, then drove out the giant Anakim from Canaan. They devoted those giants to destruction though they left some behind in Philistine territory. One of those cities was Gath, from which city Goliath later came. Caleb took their mountain stronghold at Hebron, something he'd wanted to do for the past 40 years. But it was left to David, King David, and his men to destroy the very last remaining family of those very same giants descended from the ones that escaped Joshua at Gath. Yes, Goliath was no ordinary random giant, but the last of a line that traces its way back to Genesis 6 verse 4, a long cursed line as far as the attempted frustration of God's purposes were concerned, purposes that were first outlined in Genesis 3.15 in terms of the spiritual conflict between the seed of the woman and the serpent seed. The giant Goliath represented not just the Philistines, but the dreaded Anakim, whom even Joshua couldn't totally defeat. Goliath and his relatives were also considered Rephaim giants or sons of Rapha. And if these Anakim were descended from the Nephilim, and if the Nephilim were originally the children of fallen angels and women, then this would actually make Goliath the offspring of the serpent. Goliath also wore scale armour. It does seem oddly fitting that he came out against David with armour described as scale armour, like the scales of a serpent. 
for doesn't he appear to represent the seed of the serpent? This was a battle between the seed of the woman, David, and the seed of the serpent, Goliath. By defeating Goliath and his relatives, David completed the conquest that Joshua had begun. There's no mention of giants in scripture after the time of David. David, representing the seed of the woman, being of the messianic line, pictured his greater son who was coming for the ultimate showdown that this merely prefigured. Our victorious Lord Jesus finished the earlier work begun by Joshua, Caleb and David. Their earlier work all left a second foe. His victory at the cross did not. May I remind you that there's a very helpful transcript book available for all 12 study talks in this series. If you have it, you'll be able to pursue further personal study and get more out of these radio talks. You can request a hard copy book by asking for the title Christ in the Old Testament. You can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been wonderful to enjoy your company again today, so thank you for giving your time to be with us. Do join us again next week for the second talk in this series on Christ in the Old Testament. It's called Type of Him Who Was to Come. So until next time, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. <laughs>